The scripture reading today is Philippians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers who have whose names are written in the book of life. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. If you're not there yet, we'll begin with some some prayer. Heavenly Father, it is certainly true that we need you every hour. And we wander and we wander and we run away even, God, but you draw us back to you so patiently, so kindly. And we ask that you would do that to us now, that your spirit would come upon us and that you would reveal yourself to us through your word as you have done for centuries and centuries and centuries, God. Faithfully revealing yourself to your people, God. And we know that this is a foretaste of what is to come. When for all of eternity, you will continue to reveal your glory and your beauty to us. God, give us a foretaste of that right now through your word. We pray this in your glorious son's name. Amen. Amen. It was a cold, crisp morning. About a little over a hundred years ago, when trenches were dotting across all of the European continent, dividing it up. But out of one of these trenches arose a carol in German. The Englishman heard it on the other trench. It was right around Christmas. And the Englishmen, they begin singing a carol back to the Germans. And it goes back and forth and back and forth, singing carols to one another. And then the English begin singing, O come all ye faithful. The Germans, they respond in the Latin uh, version of it, Adesti Fidelis. And they begin singing this same hymn. Men that were trained to kill each other begin singing this hymn. And then it happens. One of the brave German soldiers, with his best English that he could muster, he said, You no shoot, we no shoot. And out he went. He comes out of the trench, starts walking towards the English trench in the dead man's zone, the English come out. And there you have what they call the Christmas miracle in World War I, when Germans and Englishmen were getting together. Because of the bond they had, no, I'm not under the disillusionment that they're all Christians, but this, this bond that they had brought them together. And they're exchanging gifts. There's fun stories, if you read about it, of of, oh, they're, they're soldiers, so of course cigarettes were exchanged, right? And buttons and hats and food. There's a, even a story of an Englishman who found his old German barber and got a haircut in the dead man's zone between the trenches. Now, if it is true, if this fellowship is true of men who are trained to kill each other, 
Should it not also be true that much more within the people of God, within His church? That whatever happens, we can find unity, that we can be brought together under the banner, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Of course it's true. And that's what Paul is driving to in this text, brothers and sisters. That is what he's driving to. And so, I want you guys to strive after unity. Don't be passive in it, but to to strive after unity. Pursue it. Never let it come out of your grasp. Keep going after it. So we see here in in verse 1 here, we see what they're going to be doing. Well, they're going to be standing in the Lord here. It's it's all grounded in who they are and who they are in Christ. So they're going to be standing in the Lord. And then Paul goes on and he tells them, well, don't just stand in the Lord. We'll agree in the Lord as well. He uses these two ladies. And then finally, finally, he's going to be talking about helping others in the Lord. It's not just you standing where you're at. It's not just other people getting along. It's the whole church coming around each other collectively, making sure that we are a healthy body that represents the body of Christ in this world that is surrounded by darkness. One of the ways we do that is through our unity and through our mutual love for one another. So let's get going into the text here. Verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Thus, not in yourselves, but stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. As we've been going throughout this, throughout this epistle, it is so evident and so clear that of Paul's love for this church. It is abundantly clear. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of the partnership, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's continually, continually praying for them, thanking God for them. And he goes on, he says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, it's not just him loving them, but he knows they love him as well. Through your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out, well, he's in prison, this will turn out for my deliverance. And he loves them in such a way where he's in prison and there's this internal battle going on of, do I just let it go its course and, and get martyred now? Or do I continue on? And to remain in the flesh is far more necessary. Not on my account, but on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. And he tells them, That therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then in verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 17, he said, I am glad. I am glad. He's in prison, right? That should be, let's not lose context of that. I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
So Paul is working with them as we've been under this, this theme of working with them in this joyful gospel partnership. And we begin to now turn into the latter chapter of this, of this book and his love is just so evident. He, he can't help himself. Therefore, my brothers, my brothers, my sisters, let me tell you a little bit more whom I love and whom I long for. I'm in prison Paul is saying, and of all the things that I could say that I love and that I long for and that I want, it is you, my church. This tells them, you are my joy and my crown. And I hope you're beginning to see what Paul is doing here. He's not just talking about his own affection for this one particular church. He's laying for us a blueprint of how we should see all of each other. When we come into this room, do we look around and we say, my joy and my crown. I've suffered with you guys. You've you've prayed for me. You've brought us meals. All of this. My joy and my crown. I must say, when we sit at the elders, when we get together, it is quite evidence, evident that that is the affection that these men have for you guys. And it is our prayer and our desire that it's all of us together. And this should be approaching us in this way, but... We are trained to think a different way, aren't we? You wake up, and you're human, so you... I don't have my phone, but you pick up your phone, and you check it out. And you're inundated with advertising. And before you even know it, you're not even out of bed. You haven't even brushed your teeth, but you're already being told, Oh, you want this food, you want this, that clothing. Look at this, look at this house. Oh, look at this career, you need that. And you, and you have this you, with, without even knowing it. That's the sinister part of it. Without even knowing it, you, you're trained to think in this way. You see cars driving down the road and it remembers, oh, I do want that car. I was told, yeah, I want that car. Why wouldn't I want that car? It's an amazing car. My, my car sucks. It's getting you down the road. It's good enough, okay? But no, we think of this way and we, we do it again. And we're trained to think this way when we go to work. You go, oh, yeah, well, you can start out here, but you can advance. And you should advance. Because you want to be somebody, don't you? And we're trained, and we train, and we, and we think that way. Or we, we have a business, and it's this big, but it's not quite big enough. Our market share is never high enough. Our profits, they got to get better. They got to get better. And it's this approach that then we, we bring it into the church and, without even knowing it. And, and as an aside, pastors are the worst at this, okay? I'm just going to let you know, pastors are the worst at this. We come to the church and we go, how can they serve me? What can I get from them? What kind of programs do you guys have? And without even, and with that approach, we, we don't even, that's, we don't even know what's going on. Until we start reading verses like this, brothers whom I love and I long for, you are my joy and my crown. No, I'm not going there because you guys are my joy and my crown. I'm going there because you guys have an awesome kids program and I can drop my kids off and forget about them for a while. That's why I'm there. 
That mindset doesn't bring you to a church to make you go, you are my joy and my crown. Bring this love and affection to this church. God will honor it. He will satisfy all of your desires. Because when you are saying to your brother, to your sister, you are my joy and my crown, you're not saying it directly just to them, to their sin or to anything like that. No, you see the love of Christ within them. And that is honoring to God. So when you have this mindset, you see people around you, And you are drawn to love them. And it can't happen any other way. Because you know of their sin. They know of your sin. And you love them even though they're unlovable. Which is the glorious story of Jesus Christ. You look around them and you don't see their sin. But you see the work of God in their hearts. And you see the love of God working in them. And in that they rejoice. If they're as spiritual as toddlers stumbling all the time, rejoice that they're finally beginning to walk so that they might stumble. If they're sprinting towards the end, cheer them on as they're sprinting towards the end. So this is the, the imperative here that Paul is getting to. Well, I, I was... Let's just be honest. It's not just Paul to them, right? This church is amazing. That they would love Paul. Let's not be under some disillusionment. The man is not God. He is a sinful, wretched man who is saved by the grace of God. And he, he does all of this writing. He does all of these, these missionary journeys. He must have been an incredibly driven, driven man who must have been incredibly difficult to be around. Right? But they loved him. It's not that he was so patient with him. No, I commend the church. They were so patient with Paul. Even after seeing all of his failures for all of this time, and he leaves and they don't go, finally, we can have you know, someone of our own being a pastor here. No, they, they take up an offering and they send it to him. So the, the church is to be commended in this as well. But what, what Paul's getting here, this imperative here, then he, he goes on about how much he loves them and instilling in them this love for one another. But the main imperative here is to stand firm thus in the Lord. And this connection here is what, what Jonah was preaching about a couple of weeks ago. It's connected to the resurrection. How are you going to stand? Well, because your eyes are on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So then you can stand in the firm. No matter, stand firm in the Lord. No matter what's going on. You can't stand firm in and of yourself. You can't stand on shaky ground. No, it is only in the Lord that you can stand and that you are standing and that you will stand, as we said earlier. Not only now, but throughout all of eternity. So this is the beauty, is that you, in your Christian life, Paul is inviting us again to live now as we will live in the age to come. You will stand firm in the Lord throughout all of eternity if you are in Christ. Do it now. Stand firm in the Lord. 
And this is, this is the, the promises of God here. You see them often handed to you. So you're, you're handed the, the, the promise of the resurrection and then you're given this, okay, well now do it. Right? It's the same thing with Moses. He tells him, I'm going to move in the heart of Pharaoh and I'm going to work in such a miraculous way that all of the nations around you will know that I am the Lord. Okay, now go and stand firm before Pharaoh. And tell them to let my people go. Or the same thing with Joshua, right? He's, he's telling them, go and, go and invade the land. I've, been, I've promised it to you since Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and through all of your 400 years in, the, um, in Egypt. And through the wilderness, this land has been continually promised to you. This promise is before you. Now go and stand firm. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God will be with you. Same thing with Gideon. 300 men against the Midians. He was promised. He was promised salvation and victory. Just as Jonah preached about that. We are promised salvation and victory. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore my beloved. My brothers. My joy. And my crown. Stand firm in the Lord. Knowing that you have this promise. That you don't have to stand firm in and of yourself any longer. But you can stand firm and stand firm in the Lord. He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. So we stand firm in the Lord. We're not on an island. We're surrounded by people. So then what happens? Well, then you get the verse true. I entreat... Yodia and I entreat Snicticky to agree in the Lord. True words have rarely been preached. See, there with Paul, he has this, all of this great love for them, right? But that he's not blind; he's not separating it from concern for them as well. Even though he's distant, he's not. He, he knows what's going on here. And you have these two uh, ladies, Yodia, which actually means prosperous journey, and Snicktiki, which ironically means come together. And he's entreating them to come together. So there's some sort of dispute that's going on between these two ladies. But look at this. Who is Paul calling them? Which one is Paul calling to come together? The offended one? The one who was... Wronged or the one who did the wrong? Both of them. That's the answer. Both of them. Was the instigator more at fault? Yeah, of course. Of course. But then would it be easy then to, uh, for the other one to be passive and just wait for the, uh, the instigator to come groveling to them, begging for forgiveness? Yeah, of course. And they're human, they're just like you. That's what you want people to do to you. But no, Paul is calling both of them to come together. And so having the, the, the offense against them does not absolve them of their responsibility to seek unity and to seek unity in the Lord. So what's going on in our hearts then? That actually makes this so difficult to work out. Let's think it through. So if you've been in a church or if you've been alive for a while, you've had a great opportunity to become offended. That happens, right? And if you haven't, get lunch with me next week and I'll give you something to gripe about. 
And when this happens, righteousness, it, it wells up within you, does it not? And because you're the one that's been offended. And thus you're able to, as we just said, you're able to stay back and wait for them to come groveling to you. Wait for your spouse to come groveling to you. And they might ask you for forgiveness. But this is the idolatrous trap that is set before us, is it not? We think that they have come and that they have sinned against us. So what's actually happening, though, is that God is revealing what is happening in our own hearts when these, these offenses happen. So if you want to know how selfish you are, wait till someone offends you and watch how you react. It will reveal your priorities, your first thought, your first instinct, the one you don't even vocalize. That will reveal your priorities. Either it's going to be you or your neighbors. Either it's going to be you or your spouse. Either it's going to be you or the body of Christ. It will reveal your priorities. But sanctification is painful. So Paul is calling them, Yodia and Snikdiki, to come together. And of course, one of them was offended first. And the, the offense was real, right? But it grows and it festers and it continues to grow until this guy named Paul, who's in prison hundreds of miles away, ends up hearing about it. And they're compelled to seek this unity. But just as we don't stand in and of ourselves, this unity that they have is not in and of themselves. But they have unity in the only place they can have unity. And that is the Lord. We're under the illusion that we can have unity in any other place, right? Either in our profession or in our business, we can have unity. Either in our social class, we think we'll have unity. Either by the color of our skin or the language we speak, we think that we will have unity. But the unity that will only come is to those who seek the face of God. Those are the ones who can have unity. And when we don't, Beloved, be warned, it's like a single cell of cancer. It begins to grow and it spreads throughout the whole body and it weakens the body and the body becomes sick and eventually it dies. And I want to be clear, redemption. This is why churches die. This is why churches die. It's not because of, of lack of finances. It's not because God stops bringing people to their door. Every church that I've seen fail has had relational problems undergirding the whole, the whole edifice. And those give way and everything else crumbles down. And it's not as though they slowly die off. It's like God himself, he will not be defamed. He's saying, no, you are... You're the body of Christ. You're representing my son and you're, you're walking broken apart. You're not humbling yourselves as Christ has humbled himself. But no, you're exalting yourselves over one another. And what God does so graciously, he takes the church out and he shoots it in the head and it's dead. And his kingdom continues on pure and blameless. With the cancer cut out. That being said... I actually want to encourage you guys. <laughs> I can't see the encouragement first, you know. I'm not that guy. 
That being said, we actually deal with very, very little relational issues within this church. It's, it's astounding. And it's not because you're, well, we also know this. It's not because you're pure and blameless. There are offenses happening with and among you. But you are seeking songs and words. No, but you're, you're singing. <laughs> Got someone sabotaging this. No, you guys, listen to this. You guys are beautiful at seeking unity and caring for the Pullman family as they go through this trial, rejoicing with Nicole Moffat as she has another one come into the world. You guys are beautiful at this. You guys are amazing at this. And it's a beautiful thing because you are representing Christ himself. And so this, this overflow here, it, it's just not just about our, our body of Christ. I, I hope you see the application for all of this. You, you see the feuds and families will go on and on and on until people die and they bring it to, their, bring it to the grave. Brothers and sisters, feuding, not speaking to each other. Fathers and sons not getting along and taking it to the grave. So divided because they are not striving towards unity. You see this in your marriage as well, don't you? Every offense is an opportunity to seek unity. And we're seeking unity, and it's unity in the Lord is what we are striving after. And so we're seeking unity, again, not just so that we can get along. We're seeking unity so that the world can look at us and say... What a glorious and what a beautiful marriage that God has blessed. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you you have no idea how my husband has betrayed me. If you knew the secrets that his phone would tell, you would be appalled. Because of that, I have a right to be bitter. Because of that, I have a right to be angry. That we would say, yes, you have been hurt. We're not diminishing that. But use it as an opportunity to seek unity and unity in Christ. Especially you men. Especially you men. Deprive yourselves for the sake of unity in your marriage. You lead your family, yes. You lead your family, but you lead your family through sacrifice for the sake of unity. So that you can represent beautifully to your bride and to your family, to this church and to your neighbors. The glorious grand story of Jesus Christ coming and pursuing his bride. And giving up all, everything. That he might have a bride that is pure and and blameless and spotless. Strive after unity with that, with that same fierce devotion that Christ has for his church. Beloved, don't, don't be passive in this manner. Again, I want to commend you. Uh, the, the feedback that Adam and I, that we get again and again from visitors is that it's quite abundant. And it's quite clear how you guys love one another. We even hear it from other pastors and other ministers are in town. The 
In some church, they had a meeting. One of the meetings was, how can we be more like redemption? Not like them, but the love they have. Ended up, it was kind of a tangent. That ended up being the meeting. That is you guys proclaiming the beauty of Christ. Even in other churches. What a glorious and beautiful thing. So the world, yes, they can have Cain. And they can have all the power. And they can have Cain killing Abel. And they can have Pharaoh and his zeal for power. And they can have the the religious class and the political class conspiring together to kill Christ. Beloved, we have something far more powerful. We have love. And it's so enticing, this love that you guys have for one another. It's so enticing that even the world around the early church, they would look at it. As Tertullian, one of the great church fathers, wrote, Look, they would say, how they love one another. For they themselves, the, the pagans, they would hate each other. And how they are ready, the Christians, how they are ready to die for one another. For the pagans of the world around themselves, they, they would rather kill each other than to be killed. So this is what is held before us, that we should forsake everything and seek unity and seek unity in Christ so that the glory of Christ might be proclaimed. But that's pretty hard, right? Especially when you are the one who's been offended. It's quite difficult. Hence, verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Help them who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Loving, help each other in this. Help each other. Come alongside of each other. When you know an offense, some of them bring them together. We've seen that recently too. If there's an offense, do your part to, don't listen to gossip, but do your part to help bring them together, to facilitate unity within this body. It's very clear. Help these women. Help them. They can't do it by themselves and neither can you. Help one another. So beloved, again, just a final encouragement. I've never been a part of a church, but around a church that is so strong at loving each other as you guys are. I want to commend you in this. But don't be lazy in it. Strive after unity. Seek after unity. The only reason we have this is because you've been pursuing it. And you've been quick to forgive, to display the glory of Christ. And you've been quick to humble yourselves, to forgive your brother. Continue in doing this. And you will see the glory of Christ shining in your personal relationships. You'll see it shining within your homes. And friends, we will see the glory of Christ shining even in this church. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we see this glorious beauty of, of you and the Son and, and the Spirit in perfect unity. And we want that. We want to represent your beauty and your nature in this world when we are surrounded by darkness and division, God. God, we are so divided in the world around us.
through color, through, through social class, through political affiliation, God is enough to divide even the tightest of families now. But God, keep us together that we can represent your beautiful love and nature in this world, God. And let us stand firm and stand firm in you, not only now, but in eternity to come. Amen. Amen.